Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. Welcome back. You're listening to Them South. Them South is a podcast and local book club and community dedicated to talking openly about women's issues. Our mission is to demystify the feminist movement and bring voice to women in the South. Many women have contacted me and asked me how they can get involved. So there are many ways that you can get involved with us. We have an online private book club group on Facebook at FemSouth Book Club. That's FemSouth Book Club Group. This is where we talk about our books each month. So we get into lots of great conversations and put up interesting information pertaining to topics around the book that we're reading each month. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website and blog at FemSouth.com. And you can support us financially on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash femsouth. And you can also write for us. We're looking for anybody that's a writer that would be interested in posting on our blog. If you are interested, just contact me, Lee, and we can talk about it. So enough about promotions. Let's get to our show. Today, I have three friends, three intelligent, successful, beautiful black women from our local community that are here to talk about discussion points that came up in Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. This is the second part of our podcast focused on Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider and intersectional feminism. So I'd like to introduce you to Valerie Montgomery, Clarice Hallblack, and Valencia Wilson. Ladies, can you please introduce yourselves? Starting with you, Valerie. Hello. This is Valerie Holloman Montgomery. I am from Baldwin County, born and raised in Point Clear area. Um, left for maybe about a year or two, had a chance to travel around and actually come back home. Houston was the main area that I lived at for a little bit. But just to return back home and just see that a lot of things haven't changed as much as I thought they should be moving in the direction of. Hello, I am Clarice Hallblack and I'm born and raised here in Fairhope, Alabama, predominantly in the Twin, on Twin Beach Road. And I joined the military and left for uh, 20 years. Have lived all over the United States, all over the world. And I came back here to raise my kids. And I noticed that Fairhope is still the same Fairhope as I left it in 1993. My name is Valencia Wilson, and I was born in South Florida, and I lived there until about the age of 10. I moved to Alabama, um, around like central Alabama, and then I moved to Fairhope when I was 
14. So I finished up high school here and I've been living here off and on ever since. I've been going to college or moving away. Honestly, I'm trying to get away from here, but <laughs> but um I've I moved away and then I moved back. I just recently completed college in the December of 2018 with a degree in environmental design, which is basically the study of the built environment from all aspects of architecture, construction, um, infrastructure, and urban planning. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here with me. So we'll get started first with talking about community, because in Sister Outsider, Audrey Lord talks about how important it is to build a sisterhood not just on the individual level, but on the communal level, so through community. So in order to talk about community, I feel like we really need to talk about the infrastructure of a community, and that's what many of you are working on. So I'm going to direct this first question at you, Clarice, because you're on the city planning committee, and you are one of what I think two women and the only African-American woman on the committee. So with that being said, do you feel like Black women are representing and being able to make these important decisions about how our city even gets constructed? I am on planning and zoning. It's more so of a vote, you know, as long as the um, structure that you're trying to put on your property fits into the schematics of what they have, you can pretty much do whatever you want to with your property. But when it comes to... um, before us actually working in the city works, even the engineers and um, anything that's prior to it coming to the planning portion of it, there are actually no African-Americans in that process. Within city works, you have actual African-Americans that work there, but you have no African-Americans that are the civil engineers that are um, the actual people making the decisions. And Even though we do have a lot of people attending the different universities locally or wherever, there's just either, for some reason, we just don't have that presence here. And I'm not sure if people feel like coming here, they're not going to make enough, so they want to go to big city, or if it's a situation where they just don't feel like if, if I put in for that particular job, I won't get it, so why bother? And I feel like it's more so that aspect of it. To go off what you just said, Clarice, I do feel like just graduating college, it is very difficult to apply to jobs. Like when I apply to jobs, I research the company. So if I were applying to a job in a town, I would research the town. And honestly, I'm looking at what does the town look like? If there, if it's very diverse and you know it's full of young people in life I'm just like you know what maybe they'll give me a chance but if I go to a town like a city or even a company and I don't see anyone that looks like me I just in my mind it's I'm automatically programmed to think like you're not gonna hire me and it's sad to think that way but if you really don't see anybody in your position the applications are long they're dreadful why waste my time with that when I could, you know, put it directed towards somewhere else? And then also the town that we live in, it's Lee was saying earlier that the statistics say that the average house here to buy a house is over $300,000. 
So that makes me think like if I get a job here, if I'm making because Alabama just the um, the minimum wage is still seven twenty five, and I'm just coming out of college. I don't have any experience, so I'm not gonna get paid a decent. I'd probably get paid like thirty thousand here. So what can I do with that here? You know, where can I live? It's just a lot. So I feel like that's why we don't have a big population of younger people here. And I honestly feel like the only time that you can be young and survive here (laughs) if your family has money. So yeah, that's a good point. And maybe this is a good time to kind of give an overview of the statistics of our area that we're talking about too. Valerie, would you like to talk about some of our statistics? Absolutely. Right here, we have population stats from 2018. Daphne, we're showing 25,960. Fairhope is 20,935. The white population that we're showing is 92%. Black population is 5.1%. American Indian is 0.1%. Asian is 1.0%. Hispanics is 5.2%. Yeah. So, you know, that says a lot uh, alone that people are not knocking down the doors to come into our area. Basically what Valencia just said. And I know we have a huge area of retirement here. And, you know, people from up north are retiring here in our area. But just to look at that and I, I just to see that percentage and realize we should be at a higher diversity of some kind, if I'm not mistaken, it's probably almost the same stats years ago, and we're still sitting in that same percentage. Well, I don't think it's going to change because of the fact that it is considered to be a retirement area because the jobs aren't here. But what I don't understand is how can a white male get a job and be able to survive off of what they're getting paid and an African-American female can't get that job or an African-American male can't get that job or maybe even get that job and survive, you know, do the same thing. Is there that big of a pay difference between the two? That's the part that I don't understand because there are plenty of single males that are engineers that are other things in this area that are surviving. So why can't it be equal across the board? Let's talk about the Twin Beach community because that's where many of us are either living or trying to uplift and work towards equal representation. This is the community where the majority of the African-Americans, especially the older African-Americans, not only live, but founded. And I was trying to find information about this community in order to prepare for this podcast. It was very frustrating because I couldn't find a lot of information about it, even though I know that there is a rich history here of the people that lived here before Fairhope was officially founded as a single tax colony. And so that's an important and frustrating aspect of living here is seeing how it's very difficult to have a say in what's going on in the community here, especially when a lot of times people don't get information until the day of, there's no time for preparation, decisions have already been made by the time the meeting is happening. It's very disempowering. Can you talk about that? Um, 
So the decisions are made by the city council. The mayor, she does not have a vote because of the way that our government is set up. And so we kind of have to go on what they say. You can go and voice your opinion. It can be tabled until they find out more information. But it's one of those things where it's pretty much going to be the way that they dictate it to be. So that's why a lot of people are kind of like, they have the mentality of, why go? Why be bothered? Because you're going to do what you want to do anyway, because that's what Fairhope has always done. And the community, prior to Fairhope even being here, it was called Tatumville, um, the pretty much the whole area. And it wasn't until the people from Iowa came down and made it Fairhope. And, you know, they created a, a separate the utopia. town. Yeah, the utopia. <laughs> and uh, but um, But it was just one of those things where, once again, the people that were originally here were invisible, basically. And this place was created and around the original people that were here. And so it's, it's just another, just an, it's just like another day. You know, it's something that everyone has just basically grown accustomed to. Well, the sewage situation is one that has been recently a big deal here. And I went to one of the meetings and an African-American woman living in the community stood up and voiced the, the smell. This is your mother? Yes. Oh, your mother. Okay. Well, your mother stood up and voiced her opinion about the smell that she could smell when she walked out her back door because she lives near the lift station, right? Or somewhere around the lift station. Our cousin lives near the lift station. Okay. Your cousin lives near the lift station. And then basically what was told back to her was, well, I haven't smelled it, so it must not be an issue. And then the more recent spill that happened, again, I don't know what has been being, is what is being done about it, but, you know, people are putting up the signs in the community, hey, stop here and smell it. And I just think that um, it was very, it was very angering to see your mother be so dismissed. Just, I, I haven't, I didn't smell it, so it's not an issue mm -hmm. because I don't live here because I haven't driven down that street. That was for me, infuriating, and I can't imagine how much more of that kind of stuff happens. So it was on a Wednesday that, uh, well, I set up a meeting for my uncle to meet with the mayor on a Wednesday, and they met that day. It was a few people from the community. They left. They met at the lift station, and just so happened as they got there, uh, one of my cousins was there, and she videoed, but at that Day and time, there was sewage actually running out of the lift station. And it was like God created this event for them to finally see it. And it's on video. So they came in, they got it up and going, but it actually wasn't even on at the time. It was just something was malfunctioning with it. So it was shooting out the backside of it, running down the hill into um, the wetland that's behind us all. And so... Different um, organizations were um, involved, and that's when the mayor really started getting on to the people to, we've got to get this. So there's supposed to be a five-year plan, but our infrastructure for the city is outdated, and we're putting more um, houses in, which is causing more stress and strain on what we currently have that isn't capable to handle the amount of people that we have here. So... It's an issue. They know about it. What they're actually doing 
I don't really know, but I, I feel like um, behind us on um, the hill behind us, the RSA is actually building a community. So I feel like once they get in this community, they're going to add to what's going on. And when they get here, it will be white females and white males. So we'll have more of a voice and then something will be done about it. But we'll see. So we're going to take a quick break. Thank you for listening to Fem South. We'll be right back. You're listening to Fem South podcast. Fem South is a podcast, a local book club and community dedicated to supporting women. And we're back. And I have my three very special guests, Valerie, Claire, and Valencia, talking about community inspired by Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. So let's talk about mental health. In the United States, there's a lot of discussion about mental health and putting more resources into mental health and, you know, removing the stigma of mental health. When I look around the community, I'm seeing a lack of Black and especially Black female mental health professionals. So is mental health talked about in the Black community here? Is this another area in our community where women and women of color are unrepresented? Definitely in the minority community. We pretend it's, it's not an issue. A lot of people pretend it's not an issue in their own family. I do believe that it has to be addressed very strongly, starting within families. It has to also start within churches to recognize it, talk about it, be open about it. We, you know, we forget that we need mental health. And I don't know if it needs a new name, maybe brain health or <laughs> neurology health. I don't know, but it needs a new name for some people to understand the importance of mental health. Meaning if you're able to go and have a physical on your body, you're able to have your teeth clean your brain also needs to be clean and it needs to be have the right things put into it every day because we go through so much on a daily basis. We're living in such fast pace and such busy times. Everything has busy attached to it. And it's everything that we do. It's the traffic you could be around. It could be your place of living that can cause anxiety and you don't even know that that is what's going on with you. You just know you're not happy. It could be the noise that is out your window every day that's causing those problems. And in our community, those are that's being ignored. So I think the surroundings for each individual who's having mental health problem, whether it's depression, anxiety, especially anxiety. I'm hearing a whole lot more about anxiety. I'm hearing more women talk about anxiety. And it's because we're on the go, just going and going, and we don't make the time for self-care. And it all starts with mental health. So the church is really important in the Black community here. Do you think that the responsibility for mental health falls on the church? And if so, why and how might that be a problem for women? I think a lot of people's, the church is family and Family is family. And a lot of people I know in our community see church as family. I mean, it's, 
everything they do for the church, you know, their volunteerism, their time that they're going to church. Uh, they spend a lot of time at church. So it's family. So if we can hear it be spoken of in a way of a positive way and not as if it's some type of curse that you're carrying on your back, or we're going to bring you to church and we're going to pray it out of you. And, and I know in the past, as a little kid, I used to hear them People who had mental health, like I said, is not talked. It wasn't talked about then. It's talked about now more than ever. But oh boy, they were gonna, they were gonna sing it out, pray it out. Don't forget, it was gonna be a lot going on to get that out of you. But I will say that I've just like I've noticed it's the culture that we have here, and you know, and we're like I always tell people like I'm black and I'm from the south, so it's. I personally feel like it doesn't matter where I travel. It's I'm still very different than Northern black people or people that are in the wet, like black people in the West, because it's just the way we were raised. It was well, I was personally raised off of just a really religious background. Like we went to church multiple times a week, like Sunday school, Bible study, and then church. And it's just like, and the church is here too that we were raised in they're very traditional it's like you have to dress up it didn't matter how hot it was outside <laughs> you have to do communion and read the bible and and I know that now I and especially just in this area I, I've seen a shift like even with my mom we don't go to uh well she doesn't go to a um a traditional African-American church she goes to a non-denomination church now that is a mixture. So we have Hispanic, we have white people there. There may be some Asian people in the church as well. So I just honestly feel like maybe it's just based off the family and how you're able to just shift your mindset and shift the way you do things. And I think it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is something that the African-American community believes. I believe it, but we believe it so much that we actually negate the mental health part. You know, we, we believe in God and he can heal. He can, I do believe that. But there are some things that you need to seek some help with. And so there's a separation in the black community of first we'll try it this way, the 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 religious sector of it. And you know, we actually do not talk about mental health on a regular basis. And it is seen as a sign of weakness to an extent. As a kid, you know, I can remember, you know, if you're crying, you know, only girls cry, get up, be tough. If you're gonna hang out with the boys, you're going to be a boy, you know? And I'm like, okay. And I keep trugging along, you know, but it's something we, we feel like we're doing a service to this individual, but to an extent we're not. And we did have individuals that walked the streets in our neighborhood and we knew that guy has mental problems. So hop on the other side of the road, you know, but you, you, I never felt threatened or harmed, but you just knew. But they just did not get the help because either the family couldn't afford it due to insurance or what have you. 
Yeah, I think this is a nice segue into Audre Lorde's discussion about the African goddesses and how, how important it was for her to have that connection of female spiritual divinity and a link to her African heritage, which in our area, we don't really see that much. And I'm wondering, in the Black community, do you see that feminine spiritual representation in the churches? There's not that many female ministers, pastors of the head of the church um, in our area. We serve roles in the church, but a lot of them are not in the pastoral roles. A lot of them may be in the secretarial, um, you know, other departments, you know, uh, women's auxiliaries, they're strong in the community. And I think that's why there are several women auxiliary groups throughout a lot of churches is because that's where the female and the women can truly come together as a sisterhood and actually, you know, find a need of whatever they could do as a whole source. But as that top leader or the leader of the church, there's not that many females that I'm aware of that are serving in those roles at all. And I think with church, it's one of those things where um, we label everything that we do. So we box it and the women have a box and the men have a box. So it's um, a cyclical type thing where it could start in 1989 and it's 2019 and it's still the same thing. You know, we never change it or alter it. You know, if someone brings up, oh, let's change this, you know, it's, oh, no, you know, that's everybody's on the defensive now. So it's one of those things where I think mentally, if we stop putting labels and things in boxes all the time and kind of just, hey, let's create this and go with it and get support, then it would, it would have a better effect, you know, when it came to um, whether it's just in the church or just society as a whole. And from my understanding, uh, another reason why we don't have women as a high roles in churches is in the Bible, correct me if I'm wrong, in the Bible, somewhere it says that women aren't supposed to be in that position. So a lot of churches just still go by that, whatever the Bible says. I have this conversation with my friends who are Christian feminists, like even with the masculine pronouns. The patriarchal structure, you, Jesus is a he and God is the father and there's Mary over there, but Mary is a white virgin mother that is unattainable. So how do you feel about a spirituality that just doesn't seem to have not only a true feminine, and not I'm not just speaking of a leadership role in the church, although I think this is probably a product of that, but a feminine spiritual guidepost, uh, iconography that is feminine, that is black. And this is what Audre Lorde talks about with the black mother is how important it was for her to start to research and find these African goddesses and, and that they, they gave her a actual spiritual representation of not just the feminine, not just the black feminine, but a spirituality that was connected with the earth that was connected with nature, that was something that connected her, just rooted her in her African heritage that was maybe more primal and more outside of the influence of capitalism. And I don't want to go too far down that road, Mm -hmm. but do you see what I'm saying? 
I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that going back to slavery and even prior to that, you know, uh, worshiping false idols, you know, um, when Christianity is being brought to the forefront, you know, and people did have these different deities and stuff like that, that they actually worshiped, um, whether they were whatever um, ethnicity, but they were told that that was wrong. So they started pushing that different ones, pushed it away. Some kept, you know, their um, tradition. And it was one of those things where um, with Africans, they were stripped of anything that they knew once they crossed that ocean. So they tried to, to keep it in secrecy, but with all things, as time passes, it's forgotten about, it's not talked about. And so I think like from like our generation, I have no earthly idea about any of that, but, and I honestly would probably, because my mind has been, uh, you can say brainwashed or programmed to think the way that it thinks currently, I would probably be leery about it, you know, because you hear about voodoo and hoodoo and all of that, you know? So now I'm thinking, oh, this isn't God. Is God going to not let me into heaven, you know? And then your mind, and then I've got mental health issues, but... (laughs) (laughs) But, this is what but I, but with that, I do find it all intriguing everywhere that I've lived, whether it's, you know, in a Muslim country or what have you, just finding out about that religion to better understand and to educate myself. I absolutely loved because I felt like it created a, a closer bond with me and that person because where I fell short and didn't understand, they helped me to bridge that gap. And I feel like that could possibly happen. But in the church, you don't see that. You know, if you see a female pastor, it's like a rarity to even see that. As far as having some kind of um, iconic figure of a female, Mary is the closest we're going to get, you know, because that's the way that Christianity was brought. And that's the way it's kind of like the tradition has just been dealt and it is so no one's gonna veer veer past that I don't feel like it I think you know for anything especially in the churches like she said over the years of tradition is what you've seen is that it's been majority male or men in those positions so as young ladies or a lady sitting in the church you don't see females in those roles so you don't dream to be in that role. So you only want to be in a role as a kid or as, you know, someone young growing up and still trying to search your way. You you look at what you see people who look like you are in and see that that may be opportunity. And that's not always just of color, it's also of sex. So if you don't see females serving in those roles throughout the different churches you may attend, whether you're a visitor or actually a member, then you don't, you don't dream of being a female minister. Um, And another thing also, while we were in DC for the summer, we went to the Bible museum and they have a section there that's about the um, slave Bible. And the British actually took the Bible And they dissected the Bible down so that most of the Old Testament was missing and then half of the New Testament remained. And it was given 
to, well, it was given and read uh, to enslave Africans. And what it was meant to do was to cause them to stay at a state, a repressed state. They didn't want them, if they, they felt like if they had the entire Bible, it would teach them about rebellion. And that's what they did not want. They wanted them to be obedient. So I feel like a lot of that has to do with the church in general, from mental health, from um, the the male-female type roles um, that were put there. Because when you dictate how much information a person has, that can basically keep them in a box. And that's literally what was done to these people. And there was um, one part in there, um, and it was about Joseph, but it was basically um, the slave Bible doesn't include Moses leading the Israelites to freedom, um, but it doesn't include Joseph's enslavement in Egypt. In the U.S., some sermons aimed at enslaved people portrayed Joseph as someone who accepted his, his lot in life, keeps his faith in God, and in the end is rewarded for it. So it's one of those things where looking back, that is what African-Americans have done. If something good happened, they accepted if it was bad, that was what it was supposed to be, you know? And so it's one of those things where um, we have to find our way, you know, especially as females, because we make up, a large percentage of the population. We put you here. We put the other females and the males here. So it starts with us, you know, breaking away from these mental cycles that we have and working together, whether we're black or we're white, it's finding that common ground. And in the Audre Lorde book, there was one chapter and it was, uh, I think Malcolm X, he actually said it, I shouldn't have to be you and you shouldn't have to be me. We should just work for a common ground. And, um, and I found that very interesting because the, at the end of the day, that's what it should be. Yeah. We're two different colors. Okay. We move on past that. We should be like kids, kids. It can be 50 different colors on the ground, but they're all just playing. And it isn't until the adult steps in and starts putting those sectors in there to put them in their boxes. And um, that's, I feel like the slave Bible kind of hits on that when you start actually reading what's actually in it. Just listening to what you said about the Bible and we're talking about mental health and everything we read and everything we do is what we put into our minds. And so when she talks about what was in the slave Bible and I can't help but always go back to education and into the history books. It's the same thing. We're limited to what is put in the history books. We did not see too many females or African-Americans in the history books that should have been put in there who made some of the most huge impacts on our country, but they just didn't make the book for whatever reason, but we're talking about people who created some of the biggest things that took place here. And and I can't help but go to the movie Hidden Figures of how so many people walked out of that movie totally disappointed, not at the movie, 
but at the fact that this was hidden from us, that this wasn't just hidden from us as African-Americans, I looked at more disappointed faces of more Caucasians that was just really disappointed at how this was hidden. Why were they hidden when they should never have been hidden? They should have been talked about just as much as anybody else who took that role in, in placing this man on the moon. Something so big that took place in our country and how it was celebrated so tremendously throughout the country. And these women were hidden. I know that. And just from growing up and about the history, African-American history in college, you know, you're surrounded by a diverse group of people. You know, you're talking about like what you just just, you know, casual conversation. And I realized that a lot of the African-American history, I know I didn't learn it from the history book, but I learned it from my family. So it was just, you know, you go to school and you learn about the presidents and our founding fathers and you learn all about that. But you then you come home and you learn about Angela Davis and just a lot of other figures that aren't in the books that you would probably never hear about at school. And I think that's why there is a, a disconnect in society at a young age because you don't learn about it in your history books as you're coming up. Black kids learn about it because of Black History Month. So it's just, it's in the churches, it's you're being taught that. But the white community isn't getting that. They may be getting bits and pieces that they get for Black History Month for whatever projects they have to do or what have you. But I feel like that's where it's kind of, you know, whitewashed. And then once the kids get, say, into high school where they're playing sports and they actually have that interaction with the Black kids and the Black community and the Black culture, they're more exposed to it because their parents can't really kind of guard them or gate them to where they need them to be so much. So then they start learning more about Black people and other ethnicities. And it's one of those things where it's like um, their minds are opened and you get more of that sympathy from them because they're like, that happened? And it's like, yeah, I've known that since I was four. You're finding out and you're 18, you know? But it's one of those things where it's too little too late at that point. I mean, any little help, you know, anything where you can change somebody's mentality over something like that at whatever age it's great but it would be so much nicer if someone rewrote the history books and input inserted those black people in those times because just like George Washington was doing what he was doing I'm sure there were some black people doing something too you know but um so if those names and those faces and that stuff was put in there it would open up the eyes to the black community to say, hey, I can be more than what I'm being. And it would allow the white kids to say, oh my gosh, this is something bigger, you know? And I think it would take the whitewashed America, you know, that version, it would dilute it and get a little muddy because it, it muddied it up a little bit, but people would be able to understand other people and know that it just wasn't, a couple of black people that did stuff and then thousands of white people who did stuff, you know? Just like you were saying, 
America is being whitewashed. I also want to say that it's just not the white people that don't know about African-American history. It's people that move here. So there, it can be Africans from another country because their ancestors didn't go through what we were going through. And I didn't realize that until college. And I was talking to this girl. She's Indian. And she moved over here when she was like three or four from India. And she was asking me where my family was from. And I told her, you know, I'm from Alabama. <laughs> like, But she went on to say, you know, like, where are your ancestors from? And I had to sit down and explain to her, like, my ancestors were slaves. They were brought over here. And when slavery ended, all the black people didn't die. And that's exactly what she thought. She just thought all the black people just vanished. And then I guess, yeah, and then civil rights happened. And I was just like, no, girl, like, We've been here for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But and at first I was so offended. I was really offended. But then I like then I thought back to what I was taught growing up and what everyone else that didn't their ancestors didn't go through it. We're taught it's completely different. And it's even heartbreaking because me and her are the same complexion. But just because her ancestors didn't go through it, she just didn't know. So... Yeah, and I might add that history doesn't just begin at slavery. It goes further Further back, back. and it's not an accurate history. So I I feel like that must be really frustrating. It does everybody a disservice to have our our main line of history always go straight to Europe, Mm -hmm. you know, because we just don't get any information outside Mm -hmm. of that. So to segue into the kind of the last discussion point that I want to talk about is feminism. Is feminism a dirty word in the black community? Do you consider yourselves feminist? And if so, can you talk openly about it? Well, I would say is that um, just being in the South, you know, like women are always have been looked at differently. So I feel like this Southern culture, especially in the black culture, we were always like, you know, men first, women second. And then also, I didn't know what feminist meant until college. I just, honestly, I thought if you were a feminist, you had to take out the trash. And I didn't want to take out the trash. So it's <laughs> just like, I'm, I'm just, you know. But yeah, honestly. And then once I hit college and I realized how women were being suppressed and that we don't get paid the same. I I just I thought differently because I want to get paid the same. I don't want to work just as hard as a man as a man and not get the same money, especially since I had to pay the same money to go to college. But if you want to change that, I can pay less to go to college and then just get paid less. <laughs> less student debt to pay back. Yeah. Um, I feel like I am a feminist. I'm just not an aggressive feminist. I tend to um weigh out the situation and of course I don't want to see whether you're black white pink or yellow as a female I don't want to see you harmed in any way shape or form or you know I want equality especially for women because it's 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 only fair if we could take all the females in Fairhope all the females in Baldwin County period and if we could just say you know what we're all different but we are fighting for one cause and we could stand together we can make so much stuff happen but I look at the voting process we have men in all roles and with political positions if we came together and had females run and all the females voted for all the females 
we could turn Bowen County around, you know, but that's a movement, you know, and I feel like women want to be feminists, but they're scared because they're scared of their husbands, what they're going to think. But I look at it like this. When you go to that voting booth, guess what? He's not in there with you, you know? So at some point you have to stand up for who you are. I think for myself, I'm a feminist. I'm not as a vocal feminist on things. I think I just pick and choose what things that I want to be a strong advocate for on, on some stuff. Um, I'm one I do like to fall a little bit because I have a little bit of old fashionism in me that I would love to see uh, a strong male role in certain positions because we need strong men. And I think women are very strong. We have a lot of feminists in this community because I feel like we're kind of like the ones holding it up a little bit here. And I would love to see stronger men take roles as well. I believe it can be a, a great balance. But when it comes to jobs and, and those things, it doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, you should be paid the same equal opportunity based on your experience, education level, as anyone else's resume that's on, in, sitting on the, on the desk to be reviewed. So I, like I said, I'm, I'm a feminist. I'm probably a quieter feminist. And I just pick and choose which things to be stronger feminist advocate about than some others. All right. Well, I think that is a great stopping point. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yes, it was very informative to see different people's, uh, well, to hear different people's viewpoints and um, just to get a better understanding. And it was very mind stimulating. I felt like I learned a lot that I didn't know about this area and about you all. So it was great. So you've been listening to Fem South. Please follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, any place where you get your podcast. Please rate us. Give us some feedback. You can also subscribe to our newsletter by going to our website, femsouth.com. And you can support us by joining any one of our memberships at Patreon for as little as $1 a month. A membership of $5 and up, though, will give you some FemSouth merchandise. So please check us out at Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash FemSouth. Until next time, you're listening to Fem South.